you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. Matthew 13, verse 44. I come back to this scripture again. We're talking about a very delicate, sensitive issue this morning about crisis, tragedy, and dealing with problems. We live in a, na- in a nation right now that according to Case University or Western Case, I can't remember the name, I was reading it on the internet, 71% of Americans today are mad at God. They're angry at God. They're upset with God. I thought it was interesting that a much, much lower percentage are mad at the devil. You know why that is? Is because two-thirds of Americans don't believe there's a real hell. They don't believe there's a real Satan. They believe it's a, a myth. I want to tell you, there's a hell and there's a heaven. And all of us are going to one of those two places someday. How many of you would rather go to heaven? Okay, But it's more than going to heaven. It's about relationship. And uh, when we deal with crisis, there's nothing that the devil throws at our face more than often is the word why. Why do things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there children dying around the world? Why was my parents abusive toward, toward me? Why was I left alone? Why wasn't I loved? Why wasn't I given a second chance? How come this happened? Why did that happen? I mean, there's just, the, the questions are endless barrage that, that hits us. And the devil comes in the form of negative thoughts. And he attacks our minds. And his objective is to destroy your faith in God. It is to separate you from God's uh, presence and to separate you from the blessing of the Lord. Today we live in an America. In America, we live in an age and a culture of entitlement. Everyone say entitlement. We all know what entitlement's all about. I deserve this. I shouldn't have to go through this. Why did this happen to me? In an age of entitlement, Jesus dealt with entitlement. In fact, his very first message. In Luke chapter 4, when he was ministering in his own hometown of Nazareth, they tried to kill him on his very first message. Because they said, when he got up and he said, this day in your hearing are the words of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, are fulfilled when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring the good news, to open prison doors, set the captive free, set liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year. In your hearing this day are these words fulfilled. Then he took a seat. The Bible says that the people in the synagogue were astonished. They were amazed at his words. But then they said this, Is not this the son of Joseph, the carpenter? We know him. Let me tell you what the devil tries to do. The devil always tries to belittle your sense of value, worth, and identity and make you common. You are not ordinary, you are extraordinary. The devil wants you to think that you're just a common individual with common problems, therefore you have the right to do what you do. 
No, you don't have the right to do what you do. Because Jesus died on the cross, He raised from the dead, and He's put His Holy Spirit in you. And He says, if any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things pass away and all the things become new right now. Not when we all get to heaven. Right now. Everyone say right now. It's so important that you get the right now theology. We're not waiting someday. Some I've heard some Christians, well, the devil just got the world by the tail and think they're just going to hell in a handbasket. I just, 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 just hanging on for the rapture. God help you with that kind of theology. Do you know Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth? You are the light of the world. That means there's something attractive about you. There's something powerful inside of you. There's something that you... And now I'm looking at some of you this morning. You're just kind of looking at me like, who are you kidding? I'm not kidding you. I'm looking at some of you right now. You're just Your faces are on the frown down side. I want you to get excited about what Jesus has put inside of you. He's put the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is connected with resurrection power. He said to go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said you freely have received, freely give. You're not a has-been. You're not a basket case. You're not a victim. You're not bipolar. You're not some accident. You're not some diagnosis that some doctor has labeled you with. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. You're not a has-been. You're not just some victim of some kind of an addiction. Jesus Christ has given us all sufficiency by His grace. And He expects us to live at that level of life. He called it abundant life. Amen? And, and we, we need to learn to shift in the way we think. I have to make some shifts in the way I think. Earlier this year, my wife and I, we decided to go on a lifestyle change. We decided that uh, after our doctor's prognosis on our uh, blood work, that uh, my doctor said, Ray, you're not going to make it to 70 years of age the way you continue eating right now. You're not exercising. You're, drink you're eating sugar like it's going out of style. He says, you're not going to make it to 70. He says, you're going to die. Well, when he said that, uh, now I didn't say, I rebuke you, Satan. I said, I hear you loud and clear. Some of us believers need to do that. So we need to stop rebuking the devil and say, I can eat all the sugar I want and still go to heaven. No, 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 God wants you to know he gave you a brain too and he expects you to live up to the expectation of, of things that you know. He not, he not only wants you spiritually, he wants you healthy. Okay? And, and, and if that, by the way, I've learned the word no. Everyone say no. I've learned to say no more than I ever have in my life. No to sugar, no to Twinkies, no to donuts, no to pop, no to Coca-Cola, no to this, no to that. Uh, and I, I tell you, I've realized that there's thresholds of pain. Do you know pain is good? There's positive pain and there's negative pain. There's self-inflicted pain. I bring some pain on myself by some bad decisions I make. There's stuff called self-inflicted pain. 
There's pain that the devil throws my way. There's pain that other people put upon me. There's pain that comes through voices in my head, the chatterbox in my head. The devil comes and says, you're no good, you're worthless, you're just a has-been. Those thoughts need to be dissected. I need to separate the bad from the good. And the only way you can ever do that is by knowing the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, which is the Spirit of truth, when He comes, He will speak and He will declare of me. If you don't know the Word, guess what? The Spirit of the Lord cannot raise a standard against Him in the day of battle. You're a sitting duck. Everyone say sitting duck. I hope you understand what a sitting duck is. A sitting duck means you're an easy pick. You're, you're going to be nailed. If you don't read and feed your faith, then you're spiritually anemic. We feed our bodies, we feed our minds, but we've got to feed our faith on a daily basis. Now in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and I've got to move very quickly, because we are going to break some yokes this morning. We're going to break some things off of some people this morning that have been habits, that have been lifestyles, that have been certain types of thinking that the enemy has plugged within your brain, within your life, ever since you were even an infant. The devil wants you to think that you can't do certain things. That's just the way I am. I've had people say, you know, Pastor, I'm not under legalism. I just can't do that. No, it's not that you can't. It's that you won't. I, I, I had to learn to face some things in my own life. The word can't does not belong in the vocabulary of a believer. It doesn't belong there. Because the Bible says you can do all things through Christ that strengthens. Well, I don't like that theology. I want an escape route. I want to bail out. I want an entitlement. Well, you won't be happy at New Life or at Open Heavens Church very long. Because we're not going to give you any bailouts. There's no parachutes in this church. You're, you're, you're all the way in the plane on this one. Praise God. Amen. We're not, we're not, we're not bailing out. We, we don't need a bailout. We, we don't need an entitlement. What we need is the power of God. Now, there are some legitimate questions. But notice what Jesus says here in the text. And I come back to this because it really is one of the key texts of revival. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden. Everyone say hidden. It's not hidden from you. The problem is, I want everyone to say this. Say this with me. There's treasure in my trash. Say it again. There's treasure in my trash. You've got to learn to see the treasure in the trash. Some of us end up looking at the trash and we throw everything out. There's treasure in your trash. 
You may not like your life, you may not like your problem. You may not like your wife, you may not like your boss. You may not like your church, you may not like your community. You may not like the president, you may not like this, you may not like that. You may not like your color, you may not like your hair, you may not like your weight, you may not, it just it goes on and on and on. But there's treasure in the field. But here's the thing that changes the way we look at the field is when we see the treasure. Because the treasure places value on the field that brings you to a place where you're willing to sell everything and buy the field. See, that's what revival is. Revival, the root of revival is the word revive, which comes from raising the dead. It means to come alive in your senses, in your spiritual faith, where you begin to see things as opportunities rather than problems. That's resurrection power. I'll never forget years ago, I heard the story of a woman. She worked for an airlines. She was a cleaning lady. Every time they empty an airplane at an airport, there's a bunch of cleaning women that come in and men. They come in and they clean the aircraft for the next group of people that will board the aircraft to take off. She'd been in this cleaning business working for a particular airlines for years. And she got tired of being overlooked. She was overpromoted. And she went to her boss several times and says, I deserve a promotion. I am tired of working in the same place, cleaning the same garbage. I deserve a promotion. And her boss said, well, there are no openings and you can take your job or leave. It's your, your, uh, your option. Well, she couldn't leave. She had some children. She was a single mom. She had to keep the job. Well, the Lord began to deal with her in Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. And she said, Lord, I'm not going to give thanks for this job. I know it pays the bills. I'm barely getting by. I've been overlooked, overbooked. I've, they're working me hours beyond. She says, I am sick and tired of this job, and I just frankly don't feel like giving thanks. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. I just said, Lord, uh, enough is enough. The rest of you are hypocrites. I know that. I've just put it that strong. I want to tell you right now, there's been times where I have not felt like giving up my Twinkies, my donuts, and my Coca-Cola. I did not feel like saying no. I want to tell you something. I feel a lot lighter. I feel a lot stronger. But, but here's what happened. So she went back to work, and she one day she says, all right, I'm going to do this. I know that faith is now faith now it says now faith is the substance of those things hope for the evidence of those things not seen she said all right i'm going to start giving thanks i'm going to start giving thanks for something i hate i don't know if anybody's ever done that before but when you begin to move into that level of faith things begin to happen 
I love what uh, Franklin Jensen says. When nothing is happening, God is up to something. I love what he said there. When nothing is happening, God is up to something. And so she's going through the restrooms and she's vacuuming the airplane and she's going through uh, the bathrooms. And as she goes to the bathroom, into the restroom, she begins to empty the garbage bins. The garbage bins, they're, it's a panel. She has to open a panel. She pulls the panel out. And she noticed that the panel was a little heavier than normal. She found seven small 10-ounce gold bars, real gold bars, in the airplane garbage can. She had a route. It was an international route that went from India. By the way, I don't know if any of you guys know this, but India is one of the gold capitals of the world uh, in India. She had a route from Thailand to India. She found seven gold bars, and her conscience began. She said, should I keep this or should I turn this in? She decided to turn it in, and her boss says, she didn't tell her boss what she found. She says, I just found some stuff in the garbage can. He says, whatever you find, it's yours. Somebody threw it away. Made her an instant millionaire. That wasn't all. She started going through the garbage can more and more. She found diamond ring. She found a wad of cash in a rubber band. And she says, my attitude changed the way I looked at the trash. And she never again asked for a raise because she didn't need it. Now, my point is, it's amazing how your attitude can change the way you look at certain things and begin to find the treasure in the trash. God wants us to realize that where we're at right now, there's treasure. It's hidden, not from you, but it's hidden for you. Bill Johnson tells a story about his grandkids that come over and they do Easter egg hunts and he has grandkids that have different age groups. He says, for the little ones, you have to put the eggs almost right out in the open and they still don't find it. But as they get older, the challenge is not so much getting the egg, it's finding the egg. And as they get older, they have to hide them in a little more secretive places, but it's the challenge, it's the journey, it's looking for that egg with the surprise in it that becomes the fun. There's something about the journey that God wants us to grow from rather than just giving everything we want. Are you following what I'm saying? How many of you know God could come down right now just to answer every problem in your life? But he wants you to grow. He wants you to experience some things that only the journey can give you, not just giving something to you. Really important that we understand that. Now, I want to go through, on my overhead, I have seven shockers. There are seven shocking realities 
about God that we need to really come to grips with. I hope I can finish this before I get into my text this morning. I'm not even in my text. But I want to give you seven shocking facts or realities about the kingdom of God. First shock, number one, is God is not fair. Some of you thought, well, man, I thought God should be fair in everything. Them. But God in his dealings with us is not fair. And I'll tell you why. Because each one of you have a different purpose. God has a plan and he has a purpose. And depending on his purpose, his purpose determines your path. And your path determines what you go through. You cannot judge God because you're going through more suffering. How many of you have ever heard the text, from glory to glory, he's changing me? We ought to also sing, from crisis to crisis, he's changing me. Because you'll never experience from glory to glory until you go from crisis to crisis. Because there's no glory without crisis. There's no victory without a battle. There's no breakthrough without opposition. There is no healing, sometimes, without pain. God has a purpose. He is not fair. But He is faithful, and He is just, and He proves that all things work together for good to them that love God. Was it fair that Joseph was thrown into prison? Was it fair that David came out of a dysfunctional family, was rejected by his father? Was it fair that Daniel was made a eunuch? Was it fair that Jeremiah was sent to preach to a people where he never got even one convert? How would you like to be on a mission field and not get one convert? God says, I'm going to send you to a people, and not one person is going to get saved. But I'm sending you just to say to the people, I sent a prophet among you, but you wouldn't listen. How would you like that kind of a mission call? Boy, somebody's honest there. Sometimes God's not fair. That is a shocking reality. But it's true. God is, I should say God is not fair from our perspective, but he is just and he is good. Number two, shock. God allows pain to prepare and... says in Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says, for it is appointed that we suffer. For if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. How many of you want to reign with Jesus? He says, if you're going to reign with him, you must suffer with him. Now, I know this is not a milk and toast message here. This is tough, especially if all you've ever thought was love was all gooey and gushy and mushy and lovey and dovey and God is just, I always saw Jesus as my Santa Claus. Now you're just kind of blowing my bubble. 
Praise God. No, Jesus is not your Santa Claus. He allows pain to prepare and promote you. There is there's a now he will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to be tempted, but he allows it. Are you all with me this morning? First uh, Peter two twenty and twenty four, excellent text right there. Number three, I got to move quick. God has never promised to bless your plans. Only his plans. Receive if you knock, you'll, it'll be open. If you, if you seek and knock, and, uh, it'll be open. If you ask and seek, you'll find it. Well, what about that scripture? Accord, well, 1 John 3.22, it says, when we ask anything according to his will. How many of you know you don't build your theology on one verse of scripture? You've got to take, hermeneutically, you need to take all the contexts of scripture to draw a conclusion. God has never promised to bless your plans. When I come before the Lord, because I've learned this myself, I said, God, is it your will? Lord, I pray. Now, I don't have to pray if it's his will to heal someone. It's God's will to heal everyone. In fact, you're already healed by his stripes. We were healed. I don't have to pray about healing. But there's some things that pertain to guidance, his will, his plans. I need to pray about. I need counsel. I need wisdom on this. God has never promised to bless. That may be a shock to some of you. I need to seek his will. Uh, John, John 8, uh, another powerful passage. Jesus says, I did not come to seek my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's a true follower of Jesus, as he talks about the will of the Father all the time. Number four, here's a shocker. God is attracted to your weakness, not your strength. Look at your neighbor and say, God's attracted to you. And it's not because you put your church face on. Do you want to hear something that just, that just tickled Jesus' ears? Let me tell you a short story. Remember when the story came to Jesus, or Jesus came to Peter, I'm sorry, and said to Peter one day, uh, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I don't know about you guys, but I would have been quick to stop Jesus right there and say, I'm sure you rebuked the devil. No, I didn't rebuke the devil. I just prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. I didn't pray that you would not fail. I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. Are you telling me you're going to let the devil sift me? Yeah. Boy, we'd lose half our congregation right there. The devil... You're going to let the devil actually sift me? You're going to let that happen? You're going to let me go through a crisis of my faith? Yeah. But after, you're, after you come through it, you're going to be a strength to your brethren. Now, I'm sure Peter was going through massive confusion because he was in this parade of success and Jesus and pandemonium and just everybody, Jesus in his 
his heightened state of popularity during the time, especially when he was coming into Jerusalem and there was an hail to the king, the son of David. And, and, and uh, all of a sudden, Jesus, Peter starts making some bold confessions. Lord, everyone else may fall away and they might run like cowards, but I will never run from you. I'll stay by you all the way. I love you, Lord. And you know what happens. The first time the little girl by the fire says, I, 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 I think I saw you with one of the twelve. You, you're one of the twelve. You're, he's one of the disciples. No, I'm not. No, no, it wasn't me. You got, you're mistaken. Peter starts to cower back. And then he uses profanity and he starts cursing and he runs like a coward. And the Bible says he saw Jesus' face as they took him in to Pilate's judgment hall. And it says Peter ran out and wept bitterly. He was in a crisis. A tragedy going through his life in his faith. After Jesus dies, buried, rose again from the dead, in John 21.1 it says in this way Jesus began to appear to his disciples. He would, he would appear and disappear. He'd walk through walls and just different things. He wasn't the normal Jesus that they remembered. And the reason why is because Jesus was preparing them for his departure. He wanted them to know that I'm not going to be living with you like I have been for three and a half years, but I'm going to be living inside of you and I'm going to be the same in fact I'm going to be more powerful inside of you because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit but Jesus invites him around the breakfast and Jesus asked Peter three questions and you know the questions he says Peter do you agape do you love me the word agape is the highest form of godly love. Do you agape me? And you know what Peter responds? He says, I phileo you. I phileo you. I like you as a friend. Now that may sound disappointing, but do you know that that was music to Jesus' ears? Do you know why? Because Peter finally got honest with himself. He began to realize, I don't love God like I thought I did. I thought I loved God enough to die for Him. But I realize, I don't. I don't love Him like I thought I did. I just like Him. I realize that I failed the test. I thought I loved him like agape, but I don't. I only like you as a good friend. That was music to Jesus' ears. You may say, why would that be music to Jesus' ears? Because Jesus loves it when you're honest with yourself, even though you fall short. What happened with Jacob? Jacob's is coming back. He'd been living with Laban, his uncle, for 20 years. He comes back and he sends his family ahead. He's going to be facing his number one rival, Esau. 
And he's left alone by himself. And the Bible says he wrestled with the angel all night long. What was the first question the angel asked Jacob? What is your name? God knew what his name was. God was trying to get Jacob to confess who he was. God was trying to get Jacob to confront. Well, my name is Deceiver. My name is Surplanner. My name is Trickster. Do you know that you'll never become all that God wants you to be until you confront your real self? But you don't stay there. You don't stay there. Peter confessed, you know, Lord, there was a day where I really thought I loved you, but I've come to realize I'm a flop, I'm a failure. I don't love you like I thought I did. It was music to Jesus' ears. Now you can feed my sheep. Most of us, you know what we'd say? You're disqualified. You failed. No, that was music to God's ears to hear Peter finally get honest with himself. Do you know being honest with God and exposing your weakness is attractive to him? Who does God choose? God chooses the weak. He chooses the things that are not to confound the wisdom of men. That's an eye-opener. There was one day I remember confronting the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm weak. I'm disqualified. God says, now I can use you. Shocked me. I'd say, God, I wouldn't use me. How many have ever told God, God, I wouldn't even use myself. God says, now you're ready. Not many mighty, not many strong, not many noble. God chooses the weak things. See, God is attracted to your weakness, and here's why. So no flesh will glory in his presence. So when he begins to use you, you know it had to be God. Because I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know I am weak in my own strength. But you know, today in religion, today people in religion... We try to put our best foot forward. We try to portray strength. God's not impressed. He's impressed by the man who says, you know, God, I can't do anything in my own strength. I like that. God says, I like that guy. That's the guy I can use. But a guy said, God, you know what? I'm a pretty good preacher. I can read pretty good. I'm a great author. I can sing pretty good. I sing like a bird. I got... Seven devil wars. Man, I mean, I'm just doing so good. Thank you, Lord. I just know my name's up there in glory. Just, 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 just call me anytime you need me, God. God says, can't you use a guy like that? His confidence is in his own abilities. God will strip you down, and then he says, now, now feed my sheep. We say, no. You, 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 God can't use somebody like that. I'm not, I'm not opening the door here as a license to sin and be sloppy, by the way. God, Jesus knew that Peter would fail. 
But it was in that hour that Peter recognized it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. He recognized God wants me to trust him. Remember what Jesus said to Peter after that? He said, when you were young, you dressed yourself. It means to gird. It means to dress. He says, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. It was all about you. It was all about what you wanted to do, where you wanted to go, and you made your plans, and you did this, and you did that. But he says, when you are old, you will extend your hand and be led where you would not have gone on your own. That is a disciple. When God can lead you where you would not have gone, that's a disciple. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Read it, Matthew 20, John 21. He says, when you're old, remember what Peter's response is? All right, all right. Well, what about this guy? What about John? Remember what Jesus said? It's none of your business. You follow me. It's none of your business. Don't worry about John. You follow me. I mean, I would be so absolutely indignant. How, how, how dare he treats me like that? What, what about John? John's not going to die. You are. How come he gets favored? Well, if you like to be thrown in boiling oil and thrown to the dogs and still live. That's, legend says that about John. But God's attracted to weakness. Number five. God allows contradictions, offenses, irrational circumstances in your life. Then he allows us to sit in silence as he watches over us. Boy, I'm not getting a whole lot of amens on this one. Genesis 22. God gives the promise to Abraham. I'm going to give you a son. After 25 years, Abraham, the Bible says Sarah's womb is opened up. In Genesis 22, God says, take your only son up to a mountain that I will show you. Don't go to any other mountain but the mountain I show you and offer him as a sacrifice. How many of you know sometimes God will give you something and then ask for it back to see if he really has you or if your money has you, your ministry has you. He gave, he gave Abraham a son. Then he says, now give him back. I want you to go kill him. Offer him. Doesn't give any explanation. The Bible says he journeyed three days. Now, by the way, Abraham was a hundred and some odd years old. Do you know that Isaac could have run? Said, hey, Dad, uh, we see the oxen, we see the wood, have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? You know what Abram says? God will provide a sacrifice. Doesn't tell him the whole truth. Basically, until he gets up there, then he starts tying him on the altar. And Isaac begins to get it. I'm the guinea pig. I'm the one. I'm the guy. This is abuse. Where is CPS when you need them? 
puts them on the altar. By the way, Isaac, by the time, by this time, is probably a full-grown man. By this time, oh, the Bible says he's a lad, but he, he's he's probably in his teenage years. He could have about ran his dad, but you know why he didn't? Because his dad kept talking to him about the goodness of God. You want your kids to serve God? Keep talking to them about the goodness of God. Because when you go through a difficult time, your kids will always know that God delivers. God delivers. Abraham, Isaac got on that pile of wood, and heaven is silent. There's no word. There's no prophecy. There's no prophetic word. There's, there's no ram in the thicket yet. Not until the Bible says he raised his hand to kill his son, then the angel said, Stop! Now I know. Now I know that your son has not come between you and me. How many of you know God doesn't even want our kids to come between us and him? I love my kids. Boy, I've got to be honest with you. That, 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 that would be a tough test for me to go through. Abraham passed the test, and that's why he's called the father of faith. Genesis 22, 1 and 2, God tested him. God allows contradictions, offenses, irrational circumstances. Then he allows us to sit in silence as he watches you. But then after the test was over, God says, now I'm going to fulfill my covenant with you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. Number six, God will allow you to abort or bail out of the suffering to serve yourself and miss God's best for your life. God will let you do it. If you want to abort and quit, he'll let you. There's people that have given up on their call. They've given up on God's best for their life, and they've settled for sin. Esau was one of them. Judas Iscariot bailed. It's a bailout. They quit. God will let you. He will not violate the sovereignty of your will. I don't know about you, but I don't want to bail out. I I don't want to bail out by quitting. I want all that God has for me. The last thing is this, number seven. There is more to gain through loss than present relief or personal pursuits that serve to give us temporary happiness. With this scripture, I'm closing. Remember, well, well, let's turn there. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. With this, I close. Philippians chapter 4, you know this text. Philippians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, these I count a loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things a loss for the excellence 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of some things. Everyone say all. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in the field. Once a man finds, he hides, goes and sells all he has, and buys the field. There's more to gain through loss. Have you ever lost something? Do you know that God wants you to realize what you can gain? He never intends for you to come out on the short end. If people treat you wrong, they treat you bad, you feel like you've come out on the short end, you, your eyes have been looking at the wrong thing. We need to stop looking at what we've lost and start looking at what God wants to give us. Stop looking at everything you've lost. Start looking at all the things He wants to give you. And look through eyes of faith. I have to start giving thanks for things that I don't see. Are you hearing me? See, a crisis, what is a crisis? A crisis is something that comes, hits me broadside, wasn't expecting it. It disrupts my lifestyle, my way of life, my way of living, maybe my comfort. It disrupts. It interferes. It creates pain or even loss. Paul says, I count all things a loss. I have to change the way I look at loss in order to gain. I have to change the way I look at loss. Because Paul says here, I count all things a loss that I might gain Christ. What does that mean? What does that say? That says that he's worth more than the world. He's worth more than anything. Are you with me this morning? These are just some of what I call the shocking realities that as a believer we have to embrace. I'm kind of tired. I, I, I believe in prosperity. I believe in increase. I believe in blessing. I believe God wants there to be joy in your life. I believe in breakthrough. But I want you, there's another side of grace that we need to look at. Paul said it this way. My grace is sufficient for you. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I don't hear too many of those messages. I, I, want, I, want, I love blessing. I love things that make me happy. Hey, hey, I would love a quarter pounder with cheese. I would love Kentucky Fried Chicken. Give me a Coke on rocks any day. Give me something sweet to eat to make me feel medicated and good. I love it. While your arteries are getting hardened and you're getting 
weaker and sicker and flabbier and everything else. You're dying. Same thing applies spiritually. You could saturate and medicate yourself in sin. You know, God wants us healthy. I don't know about you, but I, I, I believe in it. I want to be a healthy church. I want to be a healthy believer. I want to be a healthy marriage. I want, I want you healthy. And uh, my wife has recently got me. This is a this is breakthrough here. She's recently got me into liking carrots. I mean, that is a we're chopping little by little. I'm eating carrots in my salad. Do you, by the way, do you know how good carrots are? Carrots are really good for you. But you know what? She didn't give me the whole doggone stick. She chopped it up in the bite-sized pieces, and by faith, I'm eating carrots. I mean, that is miraculous. I mean, there was a day that eating carrots was just like, man, going to the garbage dump. To me, I just, I couldn't stand it. And broccoli, oh, God forbid, why did you create such a vegetable? Broccoli. But, but, but these things are good. And water. Who likes water? I don't. I'm, I'm getting used to it. I'm drinking six bottles a day. And I need to. But it's a change in my mind. I'm changing my mind. You know what I'm doing? I'm drinking my water. I like it. Now, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to like it. You you, you have to make those changes. And what happens is you begin to experience the blessed life. Because along with that comes the discipline. Along with that comes the blessing. Along with comes the richness of it. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I know God's bringing some changes in my life. I know He wants me to grow. and wants me to be healthy. Not just physically, but spiritually. Maybe my mind has been filled with toxicity. I've just had a toxic faith. I've dwelt on some negative things, had negative thoughts. I've allowed my emotions and my feelings to rule my life. Living by faith means that I learn to see the gain through loss. I learn to experience negative situations and give thanks. He didn't say you'd feel good about it. It's learning to embrace things that you're weak in. It's learning to confront yourself. It's music to Jesus' ears when you actually are honest with Him. It really is. He loves it when we confess things that we can't do in our own strength. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to rise up and be the son, the daughter that you were intended to be. He wants you to rule and reign. 
But He wants you to realize it's not done in your own strength, your own power, your own gifting, your own ingenuity. It's not done through your own intellect. We live, we walk by faith. Maybe this morning there's been a shattering. Maybe there's been some things in your life that have been shattered. You're going through a real test right now. I just saw crazy vision. I see this egg dropping to the ground and just splattering all over the place. Maybe that was your life. Some things just have splattered, scattered. Jesus can pick up the pieces. He can put you back together again. He can restore and heal. That's you this morning. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for your faith. Pray for you this morning. Anyone? This morning. Okay? See your hand. Anyone else? See your hand? Just gone through a shattering. Gone through some things. Unexpected. See your hand? Father, we just pray right now that these hands that have been raised, Lord, that you would just quicken them for your great namesake. Lord, let your presence, let your power, let your glory open their eyes. Let them, as Hebrews 12, 2 says, who for the joy endured the cross, despise the the shame, and seated at the right hand of the Father, who for the joy. Let us get a glimpse of the joy that is set before us. Lord, you're a God who raises dead things. You're a God who quickens, Lord, the lifeless. You're the God who prepares us for the very best, even though we walk through seasons It's only a season. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's a season. Lord, we pray that you would prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. Pray that we will feed upon you, look to you, trust in you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. We serve a good God, don't we? He loves you so much. He cares for you. He cares for you more than you would ever know. Let's stand to our feet and dismiss. John, do we have a meeting here? Okay, we have volunteers and VBS down here in front right after church. If you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a great day. Don't forget life groups tonight.